Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. It's me, Kenny. I am here, and I'm here with Amanda and Juliana. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Kenny. Hey, Juliana. Hey, Kenny. All right, everyone. This is a bittersweet pod for me because this will be my last as the host of the five things. I was here from day one, number one, 77 episodes ago, uh, but this will be my last. And it will be handed over to the trusty hands of the people on this pod with me today, among others. So keep listening and remember that you come here for five things every week that are interesting in social and digital and content and marketing. With that, let's not dwell on sadness. Let's dwell on the five things that we want to talk about this week. First and foremost, there's a new Senate bill that would make platforms liable for public health misinformation. Finally, Instagram will be adding automatically translated text into story posts like that. Instagram to test vertical feed presentation for the Explore page. Pinterest is announcing some new features that lets creators earn money from pins. And then finally, Spotify adds what's new feature for music and podcasts that you, the user, follows. So with that, we will jump in to the first topic, which is a new Senate bill that would make platforms liable for health misinformation. So this is the Health Misinformation Act. It's coming from Senators Amy Klobuchar and Ben Ray Luan. Uh, It was introduced last week. And basically what it is doing is creating a carve-out in Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is making social media platforms like Facebook open to possible lawsuits if they host dangerous health misinformation. Um, And that health misinformation will be done, uh, will be described and laid out by the Secretary of Health and Human Services with some new guidelines. This is a long time coming. Um, This is uh, the way that the government is going to try and help prevent people from sharing posts and sharing content that really goes against the better interests of the public when it comes to uh, public health issues. Obviously, it's top of right mind right now because of COVID-19, but there are other things that will happen in the future, undoubtedly and unfortunately, that we'll need to be prepared for. And these platforms aren't just niche little platforms that the kids are on. Everybody's using them, billions of users. Um, and that makes them powerful media networks, powerful news networks, um, and a, a powerful way to share content, which we all know. Uh, so this is a long time coming. I'll be interested to see how the channels themselves lobby against this um, as a sign of uh, possible regulations against what can be shared on their platforms, which they've always been uh, protective of that. Um, and what else will be curbed besides misinformation related to health? will be eventually misinformation for politics, misinformation for anything else under the sun. So with that, Amanda or Juliana, who wants to take the first crack on this one? Yeah, I think this is not something that any of the platforms can really argue with. Obviously, they're going to nod along and say, yeah, we don't like misinformation. We're working to combat it. But I do think, to your point, this is something that they're not fully equipped to answer and to have solutions for. So I think while they work through the tools and the algorithms and, you know, the uh, systems that help actually screen the content, I imagine there will be a little bit of crackdown on just general content. There's going to be a lot more focus on things like shopping and video content and things that maybe fall away from this information area in the meantime. I I don't think that a lot of the um, updates lately promote misinformation or information share on the platform. So I'm curious to see how this impacts algorithms 
content feeds, what people are shown, what work is prioritized, um, and things like that. I, I don't think they're prepared to take full accountability. Yeah, and to your point, Amanda, what always um, will what always is a point of interest for me, especially is like I think that when the government starts to step in, that's when the individual platforms are like, all right, we we get it, we promise, we'll do it ourselves. And so, it'll also be interesting to see what sort of kind of stopgap solutions the the Facebooks and Twitters put together, um, knowing that this is kind of coming down the the line. Just recognizing that there's probably a lot more desire from the end of the company to be able to self-regulate than having it be somebody that's kind of like blanket across the board. So I think it'll also be interesting to see, um, especially now as we're, you know, obviously COVID's still uh, very much a, a issue right now, but, you know, the kind of varying situations from like country to country, state to state, even, you know, how it'll be kind of managed in the sense that, you know, some spaces they might not feel as though there's as much kind of like worry about people being harmed by like misinformation about the vaccines versus like other spaces where they're, you know, very clearly is like detriment if, if messages are being shared that are uh, less than truthful. So be very interesting to see how they kind of cover that themselves across the board, um, you know, in these, in these upcoming weeks and months. Yeah. And not to mention in a couple of years, we're going to have another election. So I think this is the right time to, you know, make these updates, have the platforms become a little bit more accountable ahead of that time, because obviously we saw the ramp. But if they're going to do that, right, there needs to be, um, they need to be hiring editorial control to be able to have that dialogue, because there's a very fine line between the black and white of health where doctors are saying, this is the science, this is what you need to know. And the gray areas that exist in all political debates, because, you know, that's just, so it'll be very interesting to see the evolution of their editorial control. All right, let's move on from this. From something kind of deep and interesting to something sort of basic, but it, the five things podcast is all about the accessibility changes on the channels. So this one is that Instagram is uh, going to add a feature that allows text in story posts to automatically translate to the language of your choice. Uh, so Juliana, tell us a little bit about this one. Yeah, I think I, you know, always pride the five things podcast on giving you the information that you can corner someone at a party and ruin the rest of their night or something you lightly talk about as you walk into it. And this is more of the latter. So Instagram announced that earlier this month, they're going to be uh, adding a new caption or option rather to automatically translate text and story posts. So it's you know very straightforward whenever the platform detects a foreign language to whatever the user's base language is in the post, you'll see a display translation option on your screen. And then uh, you know floating at the bottom then will show you the, the translated text. And so what's really interesting for this, you know, for a feature that's going to be available globally, you know, supporting currently, I believe, over 90 languages, um, is that it'll be really great for those influencers that do have those international audiences, you know, trying to create content that is accessible for people maybe at their home base, but also for the continued audiences that are going to be seeing them because of the international nature of social media. You know, I've seen a lot of, especially smaller creators, when they're doing like Q&A sessions, only be able to respond to things in French because they're speaking to someone to ask a question in French, responding in English to something asked in English, and now being able to kind of really bridge the gap. I think it'll be very intriguing to see 
um, you know, how it's utilized for the smaller creators. And also it'll be interesting to see if this detection works for all of, you know, Instagram's text options. So like I said, the Q&A function, um, you know, anything else that kind of can, can come forward. So very excited to see. It will be really cool to see how it's used by influencers and creators alike. Yeah. And I, I feel like, Juliana, there's not really a lot of influencers that you could consider international, like successfully outside of their home country and their home language. So I feel like this is the first step in creating like a larger open community of content creators, influencers, people that can actually have conversations in different countries. It's just something we haven't been able to do before. So this is pretty big. I think it's pretty big for especially the influencer and and creator economy. Yeah, being able to tap into a market without having to have the rigmarole of knowing that language, I think will definitely, like you're saying, really lower the barrier to entry, allow for that kind of cross-pollination of information and influence. So yeah, it'll be it'll be really exciting to see what happens when, you know, especially now knowing that there's so much um, kind of like popularity and uh, attention towards especially like uh, South Korean influencers, their ability to be able to interact across the world, you know, regardless of, of language barrier, I think we'll, we'll, again, just be able to see those type of spaces grow. Absolutely. All right. That's a quick hitter. I like that. I like what Instagram's doing there. I'll be curious to see if other channels uh, latch on to something like that. We're going to stick with Instagram for a little bit and talk about their new feature where they're testing vertical feed presentation for the explore page. Interesting stuff. Uh, This feels like a hit on TikTok, but Amanda, tell us what's happening here. You are absolutely right. Um, So they're testing a feature, which basically when you open the Explore page, or if you're on TikTok, it's called the For You page. Um, But the Explore page of Instagram will look like TikTok. So you'll be served full feed uh, reels, clips, or if there's a carousel, you'll be able to swipe through it kind of like a story. So obviously, like we've talked about a lot of features that Instagram has pulled from TikTok to kind of make it more native. But I think what's interesting about this newest update is the conversation around why. And I think more people are understanding and and noticing this trend of these platforms treating social media as more of an entertainment platform. Um, You know, Instagram has kind of limited limited itself by focusing on people that either you know or you friends of friends or you might be interested in instead of something that feels more like an entertainment and streaming space. And, you know, this change isn't really just about like the specs of the video being full bleed. It's also going to give, you know, if they do it right, which I imagine they will, it's going to give Instagram access to that special sauce that TikTok has, which is the algorithm and understanding what their audience wants to see more. Like when you have something full bleed, you can understand how long someone's watching more. You know, they're not reading a caption and watching a video. They're like not transfixed on anything else going on. You can really get deeper insights around the content that people are consuming. So obviously social media is always going to have its connection to friends and family, but there's this new behavior that I think platforms are, you know, paying attention to where it's operating more like a Netflix, more like a Hulu, more of a a place that people go to be entertained. Um, And I think we'll see more features that, that kind of serve that to users. Yeah, not much there. I mean, listen, this is the, uh, we, in our other podcast, gray matter, uh, which if you don't listen to it, you should subscribe on Apple or Spotify. We just had a conversation with 
Jim McKelvey from who helped found Square with Jack Dorsey, and he talks about the balance of innovation versus iteration. And this feature is an iteration. It's an iteration based on what we're seeing from the market. It's not an innovation. There's nothing crazy uh, awesome about it. Um, so this is an iteration. Um, listen to Gray Matter. And thank you for that update, Amanda. <laughs> Look at that. That was the most inelegant plug of all time. Um, let's move on from Instagram because we've talked way too much about them. And that gives me, you know, angst. Um, let's talk about Pinterest and their new feature to let creators earn money from their pins. So Juliana, how are, how are the creators getting the dough on Pinterest? Yeah, yeah. I will make sure to hedge any long screeds about monetization of different platforms this time, I promise, for anyone that's been listening to recent episodes. Uh, so recently, Pinterest was announcing that they have this new feature to let creators earn money from their pins. And this is really just a matter of Pinterest really increasing its investment in the creator community. So now creators uh, in their idea pins, which is this video feature that Pinterest rolled out um, a little bit earlier in 2021, intended to allow creators' content to be shoppable, you know, showing showcasing things that they perhaps are posting in videos or, or being able to break down essentially, um, you know, I, Pinterest ideas into a little bit more of like a shoppable, snackable piece of content. Now creators will be able to tag products and actually be able to, you know, have people push out within Pinterest um, to go to the pages and be able to, you know, create, uh, to do purchase. So, you know, fan viewing it, you are now going immediately from inspiration straight to purchase. No more of that kind of like having to jump out of the Pinterest app not being able to perhaps uh, you know, see that movement. And it's really interesting, you know, foremost, because of course, this is allowing creators who are perhaps doing things with brands, creators who have their own kind of uh, you know, Etsy shops or some sort of uh, retail footprint to be able to really see the direct link between the content they're creating on Pinterest and people going forth to purchase. But also secondly, as we see more, there being the updates, you know, like with iPhone recently that you can't, you or rather have to ask people if you can track their activity across apps, across, you know, Safari to Pinterest to YouTube, whatever have you, to be able to fold this into the Pinterest experience to more seamlessly see how the content is moving people to purchase, I think is a really interesting idea from Pinterest. And also will be, you know, really beneficial, I think, across the board as a means of allowing people to use the platform in a wise way without having to kind of leave that ecosystem in order to see uh, an economic benefit. And I think this is exciting and, and it's something that Instagram has tried to do. YouTube's kind of tried to do it. But I think what makes it more interesting about Pinterest is that the behavior on the platform. Like people aren't necessarily going to Instagram and YouTube to buy things. Whereas people really do use Pinterest to say, what should I do with my room? What should I wear to this wedding? What kind of haircut should I get or whatever it may be? And I, and I think Pinterest has a very deep understanding of how their audience uses the platform. So this feature is not just like a nice to have. It's very intuitive to how people are already exploring content, are, you know, finding people to follow and, and, and content to consume. I think this is going to naturally be very successful for them because it's so in line with the way that people use their platform. I would honestly say like my biggest, one of my biggest frustrations prior with Pinterest is you see something amazing, you see some amazing room and then you're like, okay, do I just look up Google sofas until my eyes go red? 
or can someone just link it right, you know, directly into the post. So completely agree. This definitely just makes a lot more sense as far as like user behavior and kind of, you know, cutting down that time from I'm super jazzed on this. I really just want to go for it and having to dig and dig and dig in order to actually have that be a part of your life. This is going to be the conversation moving forward. It's going to be about how the platforms are continuing to help fuel the creator economy. I think we've seen it over and over again. First, it starts by how they're actually giving money to the creators to help almost live as an endowment, but then also how are they making the platforms drive more revenue uh, and really help those creators make a business out of their creativity and their skill. Um, All right, everyone, we're down to the last thing here about Spotify. We don't talk about Spotify a lot, but I love this. Uh, They just added a feature which will create almost a what's new feed for all the music in the podcast that you follow. So the little bell at the top of your your Spotify feed will have a little blue dot when you get new music from artists that you like and new podcasts from the podcast that you follow. And this is all about reinforcing connected community. It's about letting you know when the the artist you love and the content you love is creating new stuff and wanting you to jump in and grab it um, and and share it and make it a part of the dialogue that you're having um, with your friends, but also the dialogue between you and Spotify, which is um, what normally feels like a broadcast platform is actually creating a level of two-way engagement where they're pinging you as much as you're giving them signals of what you like. I love this for Spotify. It feels overdue. Uh, you get those weird emails from them where they're like, new music from artists you love. And it's like, an email? Like, why don't they just send me a package of some kind in the mail? Um, but now that it's in, in tune with the app with the little blue dot, that means there's going to be notifications associated with it, which makes it really in line with the other platforms that we are using day in and day out. Love this for Spotify. Amanda, what are you... I know you and I have been chatting about this. What do you think? I mean, I think, again, this is very overdue, but it's very intuitive. I saw it start popping up on my Spotify and every day I click something. I haven't heard the song, new release. It's like very exciting and gives me a reason to go to the platform. And we've all been probably listening to the same music for a year now. Um, So it's refreshing. And I think alongside things like the shareable, you know, Instagram content, uh, the feed of what your friends are listening to, you know, the idea of, you know, audio, social platforms like all of these things together you know when you look at that lens of how spotify is rolling out more features you start to think you know are they going to create a clubhouse like offering are they going to create podcast tools for creators i think them pushing themselves into this you know to your point connected community space is overdue and they haven't gotten the credit that they deserve for bringing these communities together i think there will there will be more from them and there will be more ways that they let people in the platform connect to each other i think it's exciting and and no one else is doing it exactly the way they are so it's very uh it's refreshing amanda you will be jazzed to know about spotify green room then which is their clubhouse competitor so uh you know in case anyone else is is uh, out of the loop there that does exist but i agree that spotify is really kind of going all in and I think recognizing the audio space in general as being something that people want to be like actively involved in. Like, it's really funny to me how long it took for there to be something that is constantly informing you that like the podcast that you're following, this is the new episode that, you know, the artists that you like, these are their new releases just because I, to, to your point, while yes, there is like the joy of kind of sitting listening to like your old playlist 17 times if you're me in a row 
you know, there, you do want to be like kind of more exploratory. And I would say that, you know, for a lot of people, I might be generalizing, you know, Spotify is kind of where you're living in as far as music is concerned, if, you know, depending on if you're like a diehard or not. And so instead of having to, you know, hop through artists similar to this in order to find new music or, you know, being, having to follow like the AB club religiously, just allowing for everything to exist in one space so that it can be your kind of one-stop shop for everything audio. That's the sound of New York City rolling through our podcast. New York is back. (laughs) It is back. There are sirens, there's rain, there are taxi cabs. It's New York, people. Yeah, make sure to listen to New York Public Library Sound and New York playlist on Spotify. That's how that sentence ends. Or the Volvo Marathon sounds created by Great New York. Which was an excellent, excellent smooth plug from you, Kenny. (laughs) Smooth plug. Well, listen, the plugs are over. This is over. This podcast is over. Um, If you don't already, uh, please be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. You can subscribe there. Thank you, Amanda and Juliana, for all of our information that we learned today about these five things. Thank you to Joey and Danielle for producing the podcast as always. Thank you all for listening to me over the last 77 episodes. If you have any questions or thoughts, well, not really about me, but about anyone else, you can email us at podcastsatgray.com. That's podcastsatgray.com. Mostly that's just Joey's email. So if you want to talk to Joey, you can email him there. Um, And for the last time, and as always, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. Yay! All right, that's a wrap for Kenny Gold. Thank Aww. you. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> that was crazy. Okay. This will be the, I'll talk about you guys in my exit interview and just say how positive this really was.